Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Again, as usual, I want to encourage you. Uh, I heard a preacher say this. He's, he picked up his phone. He goes, this is, has become one of the greatest enemies to our attention span uh, and, and our ability. He, and he looked at it. And I don't know if you guys saw this. There's something in, in social media that Denzel Washington said, says, turn it off. Have you seen that? Denzel Washington says, I, he's, they asked him, what is one of your great, great um, advices for this generation? He said, turn it off. Then he said this, you may not know that you're addicted. This is Denzel Washington. And he said, you'll know if you're addicted if you can't turn it off. <laughs> he said, turn it off for a week, for a week, he said, and see if you're not cringing to see what I mean is turn it off, not the, your ability to call and, 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 and communicate, is he's saying turn off all social media, all distractions from your phone. If you're honest with yourselves, you don't even know, we don't even know we're addicted until we're challenged to be without it for a day or two. If, could you imagine some of you not being on social media for two days? I mean, not even looking at it, not even responding. Not even, you know what will happen? Some of you guys will have like a panic attack. You, we need to be delivered And so we could be back to focus. Come on, amen. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, (laughs) amen. It's true. I'm not saying there's a social media demon, but we do need to be, we we mean to be delivered from that idolatry. Amen. Some of us can't survive without that. Anyways, stop it, Lord, stop. I'm not going to, I'm just going to pray for much. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for our church right now, our Remnant Christian Center. I pray, Lord, as the word comes forth, let it come forth with power. Let it come forth with conviction. Let it come forth with healing. Let it come forth with strength. I bind all distraction of the enemy that would try to distract our gaze, our attention, our focus. While we're in the house of the Lord, let the word of God be honored in this place. Speak to us. Come on, make it personal. Speak to me according to your word, for your word is alive and living. And it's a two-edged sword, and it pierces my heart. And that word today I receive and everyone said, before we go uh, to Revelations, I started a series on the seven letters of the church and how that is very uh, literal, very symbolic, very prophetic. Uh, the way that you see the seven letters of the church is really historically because it actually happened individually because he says he who has an ear to hear. So we apply that individually. We apply it eschatologically, the end times, study of the end times. And we study, and we study it from, from, a, 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 from a group as a church, as a church, not only back then, but also now. And, and all throughout, listen, all throughout, I'm giving you a, a, like a five-minute recap because this is so powerful. Now, if you're, if, you're, you, if you're taking notes and you're using your phone, fine. But I'm asking if we could uh, use our phones just for that. Amen? Uh, and not to, to do some other things because that means that we're, we're being distracted. Now, the, the, just to give you a review, last week we talked about we are overcomers. John, John listen, God called, told John... In 1 John chapter 5, not going to go there, that we are overcome. We have overcome our faith. So we, there's a difference between overcoming legally, right, because we've been born again. That means we're conquerors, we're overcomers. But the whole time Jesus is thundering in his full glory for the people to overcome is not unconditional, it's conditional. Every single church, think about this, there are seven churches that Jesus actually gave a message to. 
All right? Every church that Jesus gave a message to had a spiritual condition about that church that's applicable for us today. And each one, we're going to start for the first church today, but each one, he says, for him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. So we learned last week that it's possible to have something legally and not have it experientially in our life. Amen? It's, it's possible that we can have something legally, but that doesn't mean that we're experiencing it personally. Come on, say amen. And we talked last week that if we're going to overcome, because he tell, tells us to overcome, but then he gives us how, I believe we need to start seeing the Jesus that John saw in the book of Revelation. Not the one-dimensional Jesus that we are used to seeing of just being our deliverer, our healer, and our savior. We need to see Jesus as he is right now. Not just on the stories you read in the gospel, and that's good. We need to see Jesus post-cross, post-resurrection, post-ascension. And see him as a savior, and see him as a deliverer. But not only the deliverer, because I think if we don't see him this way, our theology will be wrong, and we will end up being mad at God, like I have at one time. Because we only have a one-dimensional view of God, which means he has to answer my prayer. He has to heal me. He has to do that. Well, what if he doesn't? He still has eyes like a flame of fire. He still has his face shining brighter than the sun. He still has a sword coming out of his mouth. That's the Jesus now. He's not only... The good shepherd, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in order for us to overcome, we have to start seeing Jesus post-cross, post-resurrection, post-ascension. Come on. This will help us to overcome. And, of course, this is just a review, then we're going to start. I love the Lord's perfect leadership because every time he does something and tells us to do something, he always gives us the answer to the test. I mean, you may think that's a bad teacher, but that's a really good teacher. Now, in the natural, that's not a really good teacher. Hey, I'm going to give you all the answers to the test. I'm going to give, here it is. And, and people still fail. People still fail. Think about that. You know, he gave us the answers in Romans, sorry, in, in Revelation 12. He said, you overcome, and we, I'm not going to do that, but we talked about last week, by three major things. Not only things, three major things. Overcome the enemy. All these overcoming that I'm telling you, here's how you overcome. By the blood of the lamb, that means it's still real and effective today. We, we talked about that. We broke that down. By the word of our testimony, in other words, our declaration, right, our witness, and not loving life to the death. It's so tra- our love for Jesus so transcends death that it doesn't matter if we die or not. It's so deep that that's how we overcome the temptations to give up. Amen? And so why, why do I say that? Because I'm about to read Revelations chapter 2. But in Revelations 1, just so you guys know, and, and, and I'm skipping a lot because I want to get to the first church, right? So before Jesus talked about the seven churches, he called us to overcome, all overcome, right? And, but before I do that, I want you to know, because in the Revelations 1, here comes Jesus just giving you a, 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 um, a storyline so you can understand what we're about to read, Amen. He comes in, and John doesn't recognize him at first because this John was the one who kind of put his head on Jesus' lap, and he was very tender. And then when the Lord introduced himself again in full glory, for a moment, John didn't recognize him. He fell like a dead man, and the Lord had to touch him and remind him who he was. He said this title, and then John goes, oh, that's who he is. You know what he said? He goes, I am the one who died and lives forevermore. John said, oh, my God, this is the Lord. The Lord says, write to the angel of the church. Now, follow me for a second. These letters. Why would John, sorry, uh, sorry, why would Jesus, in all his glory, 
tell John to write physical letters and then hand them to an angelic being. <laughs> Think about that. Why would he say, he, would, he wouldn't have to tell John that he would just have to, Jesus himself would just give it to the angels. Angels are the one who do the Lord's bidding. So the word angel in the Greek means angelos, 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 sorry, which means messenger. Sometimes it could be a, a, a heavenly messenger or it could be an earthly messenger. When John receives instruction from the Lord to write these letters and give them to the angels of the church, what Jesus is saying, give it to the leader, the apostolic leader, the overseer of these churches. Give this message to them because, watch this, the message and the principles of what I'm about to tell you is not only for the, these churches in Asia Minor, but they're for the church worldwide. These spiritual conditions that you see, we must embrace. And it's amazing to me that over 2,000 years later, some of these conditions are worse now than they were when Jesus was only resurrected probably about 100 years. Can you imagine that? So I wanted to give you context to understand what we're reading. And with thunder and zeal in his heart, I want you to think about the first church that we're going to talk about, which is the church of Ephesus. I'm going to give you some, I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to go back and give you some foundation and then application. Can I hear an amen? All right. Revelations 2, verse 1 through 7 in the New King James. It says this. If you're there, say Amen. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? And remember, this is a community, is a city, but it's also a church in that city, okay? And so you have to understand, when he says, give this letter to the angel of the church, it's give this message to the overseer of the church of Ephesus. Could you imagine that? I get blown away. I get the fear of the Lord if, if I was in that time. And, and, and Remnant Christian Center was chosen to be one of them. Give this letter to the overseer of Remnant Christian Center. I'll be like, oh, my Lord. This is for me and my people. That's, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. These things says he who holds the seven stars. Now, I, I want to say, some of you are very familiar with these. Please don't tune me out just because you're familiar with it. Please listen. Because these principles apply very much today and, dare I say, even right now in this room. These things say he who holds the seven stars. These are leaders or overseers of the church. In his right hand. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, in Revelation 1, it declares that the lampstands are these churches. It's, 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 the, it's the places where he wants to, to uh, say this message. Now, I want you to see this. Every time Jesus um, writes, he, 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 gives a, he gives us a couple of things. And so, Jesus, put this first slide up before we continue. Jesus gave the churches in Revelation four realities, and we're going to go back to Revelation, when addressing them, okay? Now look at the screen. Four major realities when addressing them. He's such a good leader. I wish I did this sometimes. I wish the leaders of the church did this sometimes. I wish parents did this sometimes. So before, you know, this is where I get my little sandwich, the, uh, you know, the thing. Before I correct someone, I affirm them. But I don't fake affirm them. I actually find something to, uh, to affirm them in. Now listen to this. Listen to this. You know why Jesus did this, I believe? is because he knows the human nature that when there's correction, by natural default, we get a little defensive. No one likes correction. So before he even corrected the church, 
And his love, remember, if he, the Bible says in Hebrews, if you're without correction, you're, that means I don't love you. You're not my son or daughter. So put that slide up there one more time. So Jesus gave the churches in Revelation four realities when addressing them. Now, this is all in your apps and your notes as well. Number one, he affirmed them. Ever say affirm. Affirm means he actually physically, literally says something that he loves about them, of what they're doing. He's not faking this just to get to the punch. He's actually saying, hey, I'm affirming you in this, and we're going to talk about this right now. Then he corrects them. Can I just say something? You're not going to be a complete child growing up to mature if you don't have these things in your life. Like, parents need to have this. There's affirmation. There's correction. Don't say that you love your child if you don't correct them. Pastors that don't correct their, uh, their, their sheep and their flock are not fully shepherds. So if you get correction from our leadership, it's not to harm you. It's so that you could be protected and stop a pattern that you don't see. <laughs> right? I was driving here today, and I, I felt the Lord say that de de being defensive is like pride. You don't see it. You, you don't even know that you're defensive, but you're defensive. Right? So he affirms us, and then he, put that back up, then he Gives us instructions and counsel of how to do these things. He just doesn't leave, he just doesn't spank us, correct us, say that you figure it out. He goes, okay, I'm going to correct you because I love you of some things that I see going on in your life. But here's how to overcome them. And he gives us counsel and, listen, instruction. But that instruction and counsel in his eyes usually attaches the fear of the Lord or consequences if we don't. In all of, the, uh, in all of the, 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 the affirmations or corrections of the book of the Revelation, he says, here's how you overcome this. But if you don't do this, this will happen to you. And then number four, he gives us rewards for overcoming and being obedient. Now you could take that uh, slide off. Now let's go back to Revelation so you guys know that he, de he does these things. Look at the first thing that, that I just said. All right? Look at Revelations. Look at, uh, again, verse 2. If you could put that up there. Right? I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. Is that an affirmation? Is that a correction or an affirmation? He's actually saying, you guys do really good servant stuff in your church, and I love that. Your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. I see that. Watch this. And you have tested Ephesians Church, Church of Ephesus, of Apopka, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. So you're very zealous in that area, and I love that. I found them, you have found them liars, and, and look at, the, he continues with this affirmation. You have persevered, I'm going to break all this down in a minute, and have patience, man. And you have labored, toiled, there's another the translation that says toil, for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Man, all these are great. Affirmations. Here comes a correction. But this one correction cancels out everything that he affirmed if they don't get this right. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Imagine Jesus saying this to John to tell the church. You have left your first love. You, the church, the once fiery church, the once loving church, the, one, the, one, the ones that put me first above everything. You have lost that in the name of working hard for me. Remember, that's a key little foreshadow of what I'm going to share. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, 
repent and do the first works. Or else, here's the consequence. That was the instruction. Here's a consequence if this has happened. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, your influence, from its place unless you repent. Now, boy, I could, there's, this is so much revelation I'm going to unpack today that some of you probably have never heard of this. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which is I also hate. I'm not going to talk about that today. There will be a time uh, in the next couple weeks I will. Look at what Jesus says here, and then we're going to break this down, okay? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will, eat, I will give them... Uh, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Everyone say amen. Now, to understand this, now I'm going to go way back. Now, I'm going to give you a theological Bible study today. To understand some principles, sometimes we have to understand its history. Sometimes we have to understand, how did we get there? Because all we, all we see is you've left your first love. But, but if you don't do some historical background, you're like, well, what, would this church, what was this church like before? Why, why is Jesus saying, uh, go back to your first love? That means to me, evidently, that they had fiery love at one time. Because you can't lose your first love if you didn't have a first love. You can't lose something if you first didn't have it. So historically, for a long period of time, this church in the early days of their existence or their early days of their salvation was hot in their pursuit of God. They didn't really, they did ministry uh, out, of, out of their love for God, not out of a production machine that's producing finances and commerce. So to understand Ephesus, you, it, it's, like, um, uh, it's like seeing New York because Ephesus was like the third largest uh, city in all of Asia Minor in that, that time, in the ancient world. It was large. It was like going to Miami uh, on steroids. It was like going to, to New York. It was the center of commerce. It was the center of culture. It was the center of, of finances. As a matter of fact, some people have said, uh, some historians have said that if, if it was a place to be, if you wanted to go on vacation from that time, from some of the smaller towns in that region, you would go to Ephesus. It was a booming place. Now, hear this. Hear, hear, this is important. Why, because we're backtracking to understand the zeal of God of why he comes back to that same church. Several decades before, shortly after Jesus was resurrected, it, it has been noted that John the Apostle helped the church of Ephesus be established in, in the city of Ephesus uh, many years before, many decades before. And, and in that book of Acts, some theologians have said that the revival that broke out in Ephesus was probably one of the largest, most impactful revivals that ever hit that time, up until that time. It was like the, I'm going to tell you why they say this and just, we're going to read it. In Acts chapter 19, several decades before Revelation, am I losing anybody? Several decades before God, Jesus comes with fire in his eyes and gives bold instruction about the city and the church. This same city and this same church was just being started. And the apostles in the book of Acts were going everywhere. And, 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 and first of all, they, there was a Jerusalem. If you remember the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came down and the Holy Spirit just broke, broke out in, 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 in the apostles and the disciples that were in the upper room. You remember that, right? And out of an upper room, out of a prayer meeting came the Holy Spirit and power. And they spoke with tongues, the Bible says. 
That, was, that wasn't Jerusalem. Then in Antioch, right, there was another great revival where everyone came out to hear Paul the Apostle and Barnabas speak. So much so that just by the preaching of the gospel, many, many suddenly gave their life to the Lord with great conviction. That was a huge revival. But you know what one of the biggest revivals were? In Ephesus. You know what happened in Ephesus? I'm going I'm to tell you and then I'm going to read it. In Ephesus, there was such power there that it's not just located in the upper room. It wasn't just people getting saved. This time, it was not only getting people saved. In Ephesus, Paul the Apostle got so anointed by the Lord, this is all the Lord, by the way, that his clothes were so anointed, all this happened in Ephesus, that they took pieces, they couldn't get to him fast enough. You know, they, they didn't have streaming like us, and we, and we could say, in the name of Jesus, we pray for someone. He didn't have that. So, they, so people that had diseases, they said, uh, Paul, could you just cut a little bit? Some, I wonder what his clothes looked like. He probably had like 20 patches. All, he's like, give this one to this one. Give this one to that one. Go run. Go run over there. Here, go give this to that one. And the Bible says that the, the, the pieces of Paul's cloth was laid on sick people. And as soon as their bodies touched that piece of cloth, they got healed. You talk about Revival. And not only that, then they took that same piece of cloth and said, this one is demonized. Well, that, 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 this almost messes with your theology. Even demons came out. There was no in the name of Jesus. They just put that cloth. The demons were like, the power of God came on them. And demons came out of people. And I'm not even done. This all happened to Ephesus. And not only were there witches and people and the occult give their lives to the Lord, they were so gripped by the power of God, they took their books, their incantation books, and with the fear of the Lord threw them in the fire in front of everyone because of the power of the Holy Spirit in the church of Ephesus and the city of Ephesus. I'm talking about a revival that surpasses some of the things we even read today. I'm talking about they're like willingly, come on, guys, we're in sin. Let's throw our books and witchcraft books there. And I'm going to tell you in a second, because in this, revel in this version that I'm about to read, it was not thousands of dollars. Those books were millions of dollars. Millions. You say, oh, no. Okay, I'm glad you said that because Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20. Look at the NLT version. This all happened in Ephesus. But I'm giving you context so you understand why is Jesus so upset. Because 30, 40 years, 50 years, whatever, before Revelation 2, all this was happening. In Acts chapter 19, look what it says with me. Look at what it says in verse 11 in the NLT. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed, watch this, I'm not just making this up, on sick people and they were healed of their diseases. Watch this, watch this. I didn't make this up. I didn't make this up. And evil spirits were expelled. What? Just from a cloth. Here, give this person to that demoniac over there. I'm, I have to minister over here. Don't worry. They're going to get delivered. What? 
a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord. This is a, a kind of funny interjection here. Uh, in their incantations saying, oh, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. That just reveals that they have no relationship with Jesus. <laughs> if any of you says, I cast out demons by the power that's in Pastor George. I already know. You don't know Jesus, man. They, they said, I, I command you to, to, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest who were doing this. Keep following me. One time they tried it and the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped up on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Now keep following me. Here is what I am trying to say this morning. I've all landed, said all this for this moment right here. The story of what happened spread quickly out throughout Ephesus. To Jews and Greeks alike, a solemn fear or holy fear descended on the city of Ephesus. Do you see what's happening in Ephesus back in the days? Do you remember when we first started RCC? Come on, church. You, know, you remember what happened when you first got saved? Do you remember how hot you were for the Lord before you had any responsibilities, before you had drama in your life, before you had family problems? Do you remember it was just you and Jesus? Do you remember when you cried over your Bible? Do you remember when you spent time with God and you spent hours with him? Do you remember when you had nothing but him? A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Please follow me. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery. Church, where was this at again? A number who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books in the fear of the Lord and burned them in public bonfire. They didn't burn it in private. They didn't burn it in public. They wanted everyone to see. I was wrong. Here it goes. Here it goes. Read this with me. One, two, three. The value of the books was several million dollars. That's the Bible, not PG. Several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. In Acts chapter 19, not only was there the greatest revival there, it, but, but according to what we just read... There was a place of absolute revival, outpouring of the Spirit in so many ways. I believe it was because God was able to trust them in that season. Watch this very closely. Because I believe that in the beginning years that you saw this, it was birthed out of hot relationship with the Lord, not for, uh, works. Their motivation was not doing the works of the Lord. They were spending time with the Lord. And out of that love that they had spent time, all these things started breaking out. Your love for Jesus and your relationship with Jesus should produce the overflow that happens in your life, not the overflow produce the relationship. It shouldn't be the signs and wonders that just produces you to do, it's relationship that helps you do the signs and wonders. You remember that the Bible says that the disciples saw Jesus waking up long before daylight to pray. To pray. So they made the connection, wow, the power of God that's on Jesus is connected to his time with the Father. And so many years ago, the church of Ephesus was loving before their ministry took off. Hear me, people, please. And in the midst of this great outpouring and great miracles of the church, in that time, now I'm giving you a foreshadow, there was great miracles. But you know what was also in that city? 
that was kind of just kind of standing there, kind of opposing it the whole time, was this false idol named Diana. It was Diana, a false idol, and that was actually bigger than a lot of people think. It was very, 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 it was a very big idol. Now, I'm giving you a foreshadow that in the midst of revival, there was an idol. In the midst of an outpouring, there was an undealt with idol that was still there. Now, a lot of people were leaving that idolatry. And because of revival, that idol really got almost extinguished. And so there was hot, fiery love. When they first gave their lives to the Lord, I believe when they started then the church in Ephesus, it was a a spirit-filled church. You know why? Because they just saw everything that I just told you. If you just saw everything, if you were a worldly person and you saw witches and incantation books and people falling out and handkerchiefs coming out, when you birth a church there, it's going to be a spirit-filled church. It's going to be a church in that region that believes in miracles. Why? Because miracles happened in that city when they got converted. Can you imagine the testimonies? Oh, we started the church because I was one of the witches that, that, got, that, that uh, got so convicted and burned all these books, and now I'm filled with the Spirit. Could you imagine the testimony? Well, look, look, look at me. Could you imagine the life? Could you imagine the power in that church? Sounds familiar, church. Sounds familiar, church. Sounds familiar, church. Could you imagine that they could say, wow, we have made it. Look at the power of God in our church. Look at the Holy Spirit flowing in our church. Look at people getting healed in our church. We, we got something going on here at RCC. I'm going to tell you what, we're going to keep on pumping that thing, and we're going to keep on seeing healing, and we're going to keep on seeing the power of God, and we can't stop it. We can't stop it. We can't stop it. And little by little, little by little, this church, the first church that Jesus starts talking about, 50, 60 years later, I may be off in my math. Jesus comes and says, hey, there's some things that I want to address. And this time, I want to address a different idol, not Diana. I want to address a different idol that's going on in Ephesus. And it's an idol of placing work before relationship. Now, you're going to hear me. you got to hear me. Because I've, I've been reading for a while, but I'm going to say something in a few minutes that, I, that is going to be encouraging, but it's going to be eye-opening. I'm going to give you a foreshadow of what I'm going to say. And you, I want to see if you figure it out. In the Bible, the only thing God calls us to repent of is sin. Let chew, chew on that. Sin. So I'm not talking about if you had a bad day at work, he, he's called you to, to you know, if you, if you had a really bad day at work and you were ineffective, he didn't cause us in, uh, uh, to, f- to repent about that. He didn't call us to repent uh, if we are trying to lose weight and we slip up and eat two cookies. He didn't say repent for eating those two cookies. No, no. The only thing Jesus calls us to repent of in the Bible is sin. So that means leaving our first love is not a weakness only, it's a sin. I may get some letters. I may get some emails. It's okay. In his eyes, it's idolatry. Putting works before relationship. Because now you generally do love people and you generally do love things. But watch what he comes. He says, John, go tell my church. And this is, by the way, all in Revelations 2 and 2. I'm going to break down how it, as if, if Jesus is talking to the church now, to RCC. Hey, John. Tell the church. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Just, just for a second, hold this thought. Could you imagine? I'm I'm 51 now, and I'm like 65, getting ready to retire. And by the grace of God, RCC is still going. Could you imagine the Lord coming to me, who I was a pastor here at one time, founder over here one time, and says, "Hey, 
I want to meet with you. Yes, Lord, what do you want to say? Remember when you first started RCC? I know your works. I know you're doing, they're doing that right now. They're doing all these things and then has to remind me about something that we used to have that I don't have now. Could you imagine the shock that I would feel as the founding pastor say, no, not RCC. He says to John with fire in his eyes, go tell Ephesus, number one, I know your works. Okay, John is thinking probably, okay, all right, whoo, this is great. I left a couple years ago. They're doing good. I know their works. In other words, they're a serving church. Hear me, follow me. You serve real good. Let me paraphrase that. You, 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 you uh, have uh, p- things for outreaches. You serve the poor really good. And I'm not faking when I tell you, I really love that, RCC. I really love that, Ephesus. I really love this church. You are a serving church. You love to serve. Listen, and you serve well. Tell them that, John. Okay, I will. The next thing I want you to tell them, John, is I want you to tell the, the Ephesus church that I know their toil. I know their labor. Don't think that I, tell them that I see that they work overtime. The Greek word for, for toil is labor and sweat to the point of exhaustion. That's what it means in the Greek. To toil means to the point of exhaustion and sweating. In other words, God says, I see you not only working, but you're working overtime. And I see that. Oh, you're staying late in your connect groups. You're, 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 you're sacrificing, you're a sacrificing church. You're a serving church and you're a sacrificing church. You sacrifice because you love me and I see it. It's not fake. You really do love the people, but you're exhausted. You're exhausted at the end. You go to sleep tired for my work. Thank you. You are a, 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 you are a serving church. You are a sacrificing church. Listen to me. Listen to me. It says, I know your patience and your perseverance. In other words, you're a steadfast church. You don't give up when things get hard. You don't throw in the towel, RCC. When things get tough, I see you not quitting everything in you wants to quit. And I see that. John, tell them I see that. I see that they're, they're about to quit and they still show up. Listen, and that moves my heart. They're a steadfast church. They don't throw in the towel and quit ministry and the work of the Lord when everything is breaking loose on them. Tell them I see that. Tell them they're not alone. I do see that. I see that. They're a sacrificing church. They're a serving church. They're a steadfast church. Oh, one more thing, John, John. Tell them, tell them I, I know that you cannot bear those who are evil. In other words, you are a church that is a theologically sound church. You were the Bereans before you were the Bereans. You are a church that quotes the Bible. You're theologically sound. You test things that are false scripturally, and if they're consistent with Scripture or not. I love that about you. And I can imagine John saying, boy, this is some, I can't, I am so proud of Ephesus. But... But one thing I have, I want you to really tell this church that you were a part of. I want you to tell them that this grieves me the most, and this will cancel everything that I just said unless they get this right. Because it's going to burn them out, and they're going to not know me if they keep on doing this, which is this. They have replaced religion for relationship. You have put work before relationship with me. And this one thing makes you out of order. Can I be transparent with you all? It's time for transparency. 
it's much easier to do the work of the Lord than to sometimes spend some undistracted hours with the Lord. Because we do love the Lord and we're doing things for him and we, we, get a, um, we get a feeling of we're helping people out. And then it, it, it's almost in our head, maybe it's trapped silently in there that we don't say it with our mouth. But we're like, Lord, I'm doing my best. Which is true. This is great. That's great. But without the oil in your lamp, without intimacy with the Lord, all of this will be in vain. And he calls working for the Lord, even, watch this, when you see great miracles like Ephesus did, he calls that idolatry. Watch, are you ready? Zoom in. Putting Jesus' second place before the relationship and putting works first is idolatry. One thing Jesus can never do is be in second place. He can do a lot of things, but there's some things he cannot be. He cannot lie because then that means he will not be God. He, he is eternal. If he's not eternal, he wouldn't be the Lord. The other thing that he can't do, he can't be second. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. I, well, I'm not talking about ministry faithfulness. I'm talking about is he first when you have time. There's a difference, there's a difference between finding time and making time. No, you didn't hear me. There's a difference between finding time for Jesus and putting him in your schedule than to make time to make him first in your schedule. I can imagine Jesus saying, tell them that in the beginning they were serving me because they loved me. Now they're serving me because they get results. Now they're serving me, but they're not close to me. And it grieves my heart. They're seeing the results of people being transformed. That's giving them a spiritual high. They're, they're getting their identity by their calling. They're getting their identity by what's happening in the streets. And they become so busy that they have forgotten spending time with me. I feel the fear of the Lord on that. Tell the church at Ephesus, John, that I'm deeply disappointed, deeply grieved by this one spiritual condition in the church. Notice that God says, I know your works. In other words, I want to just get this out the way. I know what you're doing. I know how hard RCC is moving. And let me give it to you just in, in, in 2024 language. I know what you're doing, and I love all that. But is it at the expense of you spending some quality time with me, or do you fit me in your schedule? Am I priority, or am, or am I, when I get around to you, priority? When, is Jesus, uh, is, is Jesus uh, when I get around to you, God, or is he priority? Now, I'm going to say something because this is powerful. We can be doing, look at this slide, we can be doing the right things in ministry and be in wrong relationship with Jesus. Wow. We can be doing right things in ministry and be in wrong relationship with Jesus. And if, if you are honest with yourself, how much priority have you put in actually spending time with Jesus before you do anything else? Don't, don't, don't respond to me. Are you a leader in a ministry? Ask yourself honestly, how much work do I, time do I put in ministry? And then ask yourself, how much time do I put in my alone time with Jesus? No, no, no. Say, no, no. I want you to think about that because I'm thinking about that. How much time do you invest in calling people, counseling people, preparing things, quoting scriptures, 
to just loving Jesus first. Now watch this. The, I could imagine the church of Ephesus. Now this is going to be a revelation to some of you saying, wait, wait, wait a minute now, John. Wait a minute now, John. We love Jesus. Watch this. This is going to shock some of you. You know what I think Jesus would say? I know you love me. Wait a minute. No, no, no. He said you first. No, no, no. Jesus is not questioning whether you love him. He's questioning that you don't love him first. You could love Jesus and not love him first. Let me preach that gospel. John, 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 is, John is saying, I mean, the people of Ephesus would say, wait a minute, we love Jesus. And I believe John would say, we, I know, and the Lord knows you love, that you love him. But you don't no longer love him first. You love him third. You love him fourth. It, you know, the most important thing in your life right now in this moment is not Jesus himself. Is how much he could bless you. Is how much things he does with you. You have to realize when we signed up to get saved, it was all about a relationship. It was all about him. It's all about getting to know the Lord. Remember, and I don't want to seem old-fashioned when I say this. Matthew chapter 7. Who is he talking to? The church. And he's saying a picture. Many will say in that day in heaven, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name? Um, who's he talking to there? He's not talking to worldly people that have no clue what even prophecy means. Many of you say, we cast out devils in your name. You actually did that. You laid hands on people and they got healed in your name. But I will say to them, I never knew you. That word knew in the Greek is intimacy, the way that Adam knew Eve. Without being graphic, you know what that means. In the natural, it means actual intimacy, knew. Actual intimacy. That word knew in Matthew 7 is the same word. I never knew you. You claim to know me because you did works for me. But you never spent time for me. You never, you never even crack your word anymore. You know that there's preachers out there now that they don't even quote scriptures anymore when they preach. They never use the Bible anymore. But yet thousands of people are hearing a motivational speaker speak the gospel. That should have got a little bit of amen. I thought I, thought, I, thought I was going to get a little bit more amen by that. But it's okay. Never quote a scripture. Never tell people to go to scripture. It's all self-help principles. What have we become? We've become professional and mechanical and not relational. Watch this. Jesus wants to be priori priority instead of programmatically involved. He wants you to make him priority. Now watch this. In another translation, I'm going to prove to you that he says, I'm not, I'm not complaining that you don't love me. I'm complaining that you don't love me first. Look at Revelations 2.4 in the ESV and look how it reads. It reads a little different. In the ESV it says, but I have this against you. Now watch this. That you have abandoned the love, watch this, you had at first. So that brings a little completion to the scripture. It's not just... Um, you left your first love, your, in other words, your priority love. You left your love that you had. You left the hotness, the freshness of what you had when you first got saved. So he's actually pointing to a time too. When you first got saved, you, you, me. When you first got saved, you just read a scripture and you were hooked on that scripture. Fire came into you. You wept. When you read the pages, you're like, I want more. I want more. You said Jesus and his presence was there. And you wept and you cried and you said he cleansed me from all unrighteousness. And you desired. No one had to force you. You desired to spend time with the Lord. 
It was a love like the baby has for Sammy and Ryan. When that baby looks at Sammy and Ryan, they see nothing but infatuation with their parents. Come on, Pastor George. They, I mean, she's just like, I mean, I, I saw Sammy here, and she's a spiritual daughter. And the moment Sammy passed by, uh, you could have swore Sailor broke her neck. She's like. It's, God is calling us to do that again. Gaze back to the Lord again. And let ministry fall as a result of that. I tell you what, it is not worth doing everything that you're doing when you lose your relationship with God and you lose your oil with God and yet many people are getting saved and the power of God is coming but you feel miserable inside but you're too embarrassed to say anything because you don't want people to think that you don't love God but you have, if you're honest with yourself, we have put ministry and our dreams before relationship with Jesus. And Jesus does not consider putting first works as a weakness. He considers this as a sin. I, I hate to say this to you now, but as I read this, he said, repent of what? Come on, talk back to me. Repent of what? Of, of abandoning your first love. So what, that, what is that then? I can't hear you. It's sin. It's idolatry. That's why it's sin. It, it comes to idolatry. Now, everyone has had this in our lives, so I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just saying God is, biblically speaking, the only thing we need to repent of is this, is this, is this. Look at this next slide. Oh, this is good stuff. I hope, we, I hope the church of, of RCC is hearing the message that God is speaking and spoke over the church of Ephesus. Because if I could just be very honest with you, we even had a prophecy four years ago by this lady from Pasadena, I believe, in the house of prayer. I forgot her, her name. She said, I feel like you're an Ephesus church. Do you guys remember that? And I did a whole series on Ephesians. And, and, he, and the, she prophesied, why, why are we an Ephesus church? Why can we relate to Ephesus church? Because we believe in the miracles. Some churches in this city don't. We believe in the power of God. We believe in, 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 in praying and asking God for healing. Not sending some incantation, but praying and believing. We do believe that. We believe in taking authority. We believe that, that, that demons still can manifest. And we have the power in the name of Jesus to cast them out. Church, don't we look like Ephesus look like? I'm not talking about with that same power. But we believe. We have journey weekends and people got healed from their eye that was blind. But Jesus is challenging the church. Who's first in your life? Look at this slide. We individually and corporately have often committed the sin of making ministry for him more important than relationship with him. And the cost has been great. The cost has been great. One of the two, not the only, but one of the reasons many people burn out is because they are tired from the work with little relationship to sustain the work. They're so tired of the work, but yet they love the people. They love Jesus, but they're so drained because they have to go shopping first. They have to have their movie first. They have to have their show first. They put it on DVR. Nothing comes between you and that show. Nothing comes between you and that shopping. Nothing comes between you and that ministry. Nothing comes between you and other things. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse. Now watch this. 
zoom in. And the scary part about all of this is that sometimes we don't even know that we've gone, that we've left. <laughs> that was a deep moment right there. The sad, fearful part is that many of us don't even know we've left our first love. We, we don't know it. Samson didn't know that the Holy Spirit left him. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's leaving you. Don't get it out of context. He didn't know. He's like, Shh, I'm kind of compromising. I keep compromising. And then look at this. Every time I compromise, God's still with me. Don't worry. I'm going to break out soon. And then all of a sudden, his hair got shaved, and he's like, uh-oh. The Bible says, and Samson knew not that the Holy Spirit had left him. Sometimes we can work so hard for Jesus that we don't even know we've left our first love. Because we're seeing results. We're seeing our family get saved. God is using us. So what does it look like when we leave our first love? It means that you have to find time for him when you have time for other things. That you have to find time for him when you have time for other things. Don't tell me that you don't have time for Jesus when you have time for other things. You don't. You just can't. God would be an unjust God to give us only 24 hours if 24 hours was not enough. You say, well, eight hours of sleep. Okay, eight hours. What, what about the other 16? Well, I got to work. Okay, then get up earlier and read some scriptures, spend time with Jesus, and just talk to him. You don't have to have a formula. I'm here today. I declare that my flesh is crucified and that you're alive. Lord, when I read your word, speak to me. Let me know your beauty. Let me know your love. Let me know, let me know your mercy. Right now, I am here. And then you start praying. And before you know it, you put that, that thing on your favorite song. And you're like, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with, and, and you, that, that one song, you're like, oh, let's repeat that again. And all of a sudden, you're spending time with the Lord, and that fire starts burning again in your heart. I kid you not, guys, I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to be over spiritual, but I find myself in the position I'm in that, you know, you get really busy. But the times I, I stop everything, even today in my office, and it's routine, routine, routine. I do this every week, study, 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 deliver, study. I stop what I was doing. I said, PK, I want you to, 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 to lead the briefing. And I just went like this. Here I am, Lord. And it, I, I'll be honest with you. I said, here I am. I pray I can't do this without you, Lord. I need you. I felt his closeness. And it's not about a feeling, but it's about a reality that you know. I know that this is what God wants. It's almost like God's like, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for this. When you wake up, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to spend time with you. I miss you. I miss you. I want the worship team to come up here. <sighs> Jesus. Look at this slide. Jesus gives us three instructions of how to overcome the temptation and sin of leaving our first love relationship with Jesus. Let's look at this again. Jesus gives us three instructions. Do you see how good Jesus is? He's giving a severe correction, but he doesn't say figure it out. I love that about Jesus. He didn't say, tell them you lost your first love. Figure it out. Repent, figure it out, or else... I'll remove your lampstand. Do you know what removing that lampstand is? 
prophetically, you'll go to church, but I won't be there. No love, no light. No influence. You need to get back to this because that was the key. Oh, I feel that. That was the key, Ephesus. You know what the key to those miracles were? It wasn't just my power. The key is that I trusted you back then because your love for me was hot. Your love for me was fiery. You put me first above everything, even above your dreams. Even above, You longed to spend a couple hours with me studying my word to see who I am. You were discovering who I am. And I trusted you with great power. But you allowed that power to become first. The first thing, and I, and I call it the three R's. Two of the R's are instruction literally from the book of Revelation that has the R in it. But the third R is prophetic for what that other instruction means. So Jesus says, okay, you left your first love. I'm going to give you instructions of how to do it, how to get back. Oh, boy, that is a loving God. He says, I'm going to give you the answer to the test. Why? Because I want you to pass this test. Not only for your sake, for my sake. I want you back. Can you imagine? Tomorrow there's going to be a test. Hey, here's all the answers. Here's all the answers. All the answers. Here's all the answers. Here's all the answers. Tomorrow there's going to be a big exam. You guys have your notes? On the second page in red, all the answers are there. The first instruction that he gives to come back to our first love is the first R. Remember. Say remember. Come on. Revelations 2.5. I'm not just making this up. It's not just a good quote from PG. Revelations 2.5 says, Remember therefore where you have fallen. The first thing, instruction that God gives us, watch this, this sounds crazy, is to activate your memory. Your memory, I want you to remember when you first gave me. I want you to use your memory, and I want you to think about the tears that were physically falling from your eyes. I know that sounds a little crazy, but I need you to remember how good I was to you, how close I was to you, how I delivered you. And not only remember our intimacy, remember where you came from. Remember that you were in sin. Remember that you were about to get a divorce. Remember that you were about to throw in the towel. Remember that you had addictions. Remember that you had lust. Remember that your family didn't want you, but I wanted you. I got Remember. Remember. Why? Because when we remember, it will activate the pursuit now. Why would God tell you to remember so you could get depressed? That's not his goal. Some of you are like, I don't want to remember those days because I was so close to the Lord and I'm not close to the Lord now. Yes, remember that. Remember how close you were to the Lord. Let it stir you. He said, remember where you have fallen. Remember when you were a baby Christian. Remember when it was hot. Remember. Use your memory, church. Use your memory, Lashes, to recall all the times you wept in my presence. Recall all the times you joy, you were joyful in my presence. Recall all the times me and you were close. By putting, by remembering how close we were to Jesus in our early days, it will spark a desire to return <laughs> to put Jesus first in everything we do. Everybody say remember. Now, church, really remember right now. Don't just do it and watch your clock and say, hurry up, Pastor George. Do you remember? Can you remember? 
As a matter of fact, try to remember. Right now, try to remember. I remember years ago when I read this and the Lord says, you remember. Okay, I said, I'm going to put this to practice. And there was several times, but there was one time I remember specifically that I'll never forget. I think I shared it in this church one time. I had no responsibility. I didn't even know. I mean, I, like the Bible was like so fresh for me. And I remember spending time putting a Hosanna tape. Yeah, that's right. You had to put play. And, and you had to listen to that whole tape. And it was like Ken Henry. I don't know if you guys ever know who Ken Henry is. Ken Henry was playing some song. Oh, it was Lord, You're Beautiful. Oh, Lord, You're Beautiful. And I rewounded that, rewounded it, and I'm crying, I'm weeping. Guys, I, I'm not exaggerating. You, you don't have to believe what I'm about to say. It's not for you to believe. But I felt so close to the Lord. I felt the knock because there was somebody who was picking me up to go to a ministry event. Someone was knocking, and I remember my parents saying, somebody is there for you. I knew I was going to go. And guys, I, this marked me. I hardly ever share this, but I, I, I felt like I heard the Lord for the first time. First time ever. Can you give me five more minutes? That's what I heard. And I broke down crying. Literally, I just, I felt so close to the Lord. Their knock was there. And I heard in my spirit, just five, just five more minutes. Why would God want five more minutes with me? Why would the everlasting God, the one who created the stars and the moon, why would he want five more minutes with me? It's because I don't understand that this was all about. It was about a pursuit and relationship that he also enjoys. Remember, everybody say remember. Remember when I was the one who mattered most. Number two, the second instruction that he gave the church to return to the first love. The first is remember, use your memory. The second one is what we talked about, repent. We today have to repent sometimes for saying, I've put ministry, work, even family way before the Lord. And I'm talking about, we all do that, but I'm talking about when it's really drastic. When it's really like five minutes spending time with the Lord, 10 hours doing stuff you love, right? All we're asking, all God's asking is just get up a little earlier or get up or stay up a little bit later and just quiet yourself, find a place that's quiet and talk to me. I don't, sometimes it's so simple that it baffles me. I'm like, there must be more to this, Lord. No, this is it. Martha, Martha, can you imagine Martha? Martha is there, you know, and I saw this the other day. I've been reading this for years. I never saw it this way. Do you know that Martha talked to Jesus while Mary was listening? It wasn't like, Mary was there and, and I could assume Mary's going, Martha's going, Jesus, don't you see that I'm back here serving here? My sister Martha, all she's doing is just sitting at your feet, listening to your words. Could you tell her to come help me? Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because she's doing the first thing. What you need to be doing is doing right here. She says, Martha, Martha, you are distracted with, are you ready? Are you ready? Much serving. That means you could be a serving church and leave your first love. You could be a steadfast church and leave your first love. You could be a you could be a, a a sacrificial church and leave your first love. 
repent, the Bible says, remember and repent, okay? Look at this. Jesus wants to be intentionally prioritized, not programmatically included. I'm going to say that again. Jesus wants to be intentionally prioritized, not programmatically included. In other words, don't fit him into your program. He is the program. Right? Because there's great consequences that produce in our life and in the church. The fallout... Uh, I'm not saying, I want to repeat this, I'm going to re repeat this. I'm not saying that this is the only cause. But the fallout that we're seeing from so many people, could it be that the pressure became so high to maintain these multi-million dollar mega churches that they had to keep the machine running, that they were, they were preaching with fire and conviction, yet their own life was dry, possibly, from that first love. I believe that returning to the first love has not just consequences of closeness, it has consequences of obedience. In other words, our closeness with God will produce a greater level of obedience in our lives. How many of you, when you've sinned in times of weakness, you weren't maybe as close as, as to the Lord as you felt you were? But when you're close to the Lord, you know what the, the, the Jesus said to, about Satan? The ruler of this world has come and has found nothing in me. In other words, there, he, he can't find an open door that I've opened because I just spent a couple hours with the Father. Do you, know that, do you know that the disciples could have asked for anything, anything? If I was one of the disciples, I would have said, could you please teach me how to walk on water? Could you do that? Could you tell me how to do that thing? They saw Jesus rising up real early and, and just, Abba, Abba, spending time with the Father. And you know what they said out of everything? They said, teach us how to pray teach us to be close to the Father. And I love Jesus' response. It has intimacy 101 written all over it. Our Father. You can't get any more intimate than that phrase. Our. My dad. My Father. So he said repent from what? I'm almost closing. Repent from the idolatry of putting works before relationship. He said that's, what, that's a sin to me. He said that's a sin to me. And if you don't, I'll remove your influence. I'll remove your lampstand. And then number three, the third one, it's not verbatim, but it's there. It's repeat. Everybody say repeat. So the first is remember. The second is repent. The third is repeat. Well, how did I get the word repeat? Do the first works that you did at first. In other words, repeat the works you did when you first loved me. Repeat that. Go back to that first time when you loved me real hot. Go, go that time when you were a baby Christian and watch this. The principles that you adopted when you were on fire for me, repeat those things now and you're going to start seeing that we're going to start being close again. What do you mean? Okay, well, because back then you were able to throw away those books that were not uh, again, that was not in my will, but now you're kind of keeping some of these things. Some of this, sometime now you're kind of keeping uh, some of these occultist things. Some Sometimes you're keeping this music, but before you were able to throw away some of that influence that wasn't real good, but now you kind of allow these things to creep back in. I want you to repeat. 
what you did when you were a baby Christian. Remember, George, what you did when you were a baby Christian? Yeah, I do, Lord. Remember how, how crazy in love you were with me? That you had CDs. I remember that you had CDs up to your knees and you found a green garbage pail thingy thing and you and it was all worldly CDs. And remember what you did with that? Yes, Lord. I remember throwing those things in here and crashes and turning away. Remember why you did that? Yes, because now I was forced to get Christian worship. I couldn't have those NWA anymore. I couldn't have that. Why? Because there was no iTunes back then. I threw it all away. Remember, George, when you did that? Make sure you have the same principles now. Remember, repent. Listen, and what else? Repeat, stand up, stand up. Hallelujah. Everybody say, remember, repent, repeat. In order to get back to our first love, remember how you used to be. Remember the relationship you did. Remember those times you had with me. Secondly, repent for making ministry and working and idle time idolatry. Look, listen, these are what I feel from the Lord. Even friendships. Christian friendships have become idolatry. Because you go to them before you go to God. You go to your pastor before you go to your God. You better not idolize any pastor. You better not idolize any preacher. You better, I don't care how much you look up to them. You, that's idolatry. If God can't speak to you without speaking to your leader, that's an idolatry. And I picked that up in the spirit now. Don't look up to someone and put them up in a pedestal. Repent for putting idols in our life from our first love. And then repeat. Everybody see repeat. Repeat what you did when you didn't have all these ministry responsibilities. Repeat what you did when you didn't have all this drama going on. Just repeat it. It's simple. Let's get back to our first love. Let's lift up our hands before the Lord. Come on. This will take a couple minutes. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.